Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Christmas Eve and that we celebrate the birth of your Son. We thank you for sending him for us. We thank you that you are a good and a gracious God who saw your people in need of a Savior and you sent your son, Jesus, to rescue us. And Father, we pray during this Christmas season that hearts would be bent towards you, Lord, that you would grab people, save them, bring them into your kingdom, open up their eyes to see the truth of the gospel, to see the truth of what you've done for them through your son, Jesus. I pray you'd touch their hearts, Lord, show them the the beauty and the excellence of who you are and who your son, Jesus, is. We pray you'd bless our time now as we continue on. And we we pray this with the authority you give us in Jesus. Amen. I heard this story the other day where uh, a church attender was leaving church after the Christmas service, and the pastor greeted him and was like, Jim, it's time you join the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. And Jim said, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. And the pastor said, then why do we only see you on Christmas and Easter? And Jim looked to the right and to the left and leaned over to the pastor and whispered, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> All right, I have, I have two main points today. One is, is more of a sub-point and one is a major point. My first main point, which is more of a sub-point, is that Christmas changes everything. Christmas changes everything. Ponder this. If God sent his son into the world, then he's doing something that he's never done before. Thousands and thousands of years have passed since creation, and then God intervenes in human history in a way that he has not intervened previously. That means something. And it's big. And it should make all of us pause because it's a game changer. Think about the Old Testament for a moment. You got the Old Testament and what's the last book uh, historically in the Old Testament? Malachi. Then what happens? You get this silence in what's called the intertestimonial period. It just means the the period between the Testaments. The Old Testament, Malachi ends, and then before the New Testament, you get about 400 years where God does not send a single prophet to his people. Not one. No books are written. Well, what is God doing? He's preparing his people. He's preparing his people. The last prophet he sent, Malachi, had delivered the final message they needed to hear. There was no other message that needed to be delivered. If there was a message 
God would have made sure it got delivered. No, Malachi, as we're going to see later, he delivered the final message, and now God was preparing them. Preparing them for what? The arrival of their king. And sometimes, you're like, 400 years, wow, that's a long time. Well, think about the Israelites in Egypt. Hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Them longing for freedom. Them longing to be redeemed. God heard their cries. And once again, the people of Israel longing for their awaited Messiah hundreds and hundreds of years. So sometimes when we're going through different things, we can get pretty impatient. And we want answers like right away. God has a plan. And he's weaving that plan. And he has answers. And he wants us to continue to trust and be faithful. So God demonstrates, or excuse me, Christmas demonstrates that God is at work. And what do we see? We see we have a God who cares about us. And he shows it in a tangible way, not in just some frivolous way. It's meaningful. He sends his own son. He sends his own son. So he sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And finally, he sends his own son. Think about what it says in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So the prophet of prophets is here. Would the people listen? Most wouldn't. But the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and now the prophet that Moses prophesied about is in their midst. And he had sent high priest after high priest after high priest. But listen, they were just precursors to the final high priest, the high priest who would lay his life down for his people. What did the high priest after high priest after high priest do? I mean, he would offer up a sacrifice, not himself. He couldn't do that. So what would they do? They would offer animals for the sacrifice. But finally, the great high priest arrives. And he doesn't, he doesn't offer up animal sacrifices. He offers up his own life. And then think, king after king after king after king had been sent to Israel to govern the people, to be over them. But they were just precursors to the great king, to the king of kings. And think about this for a moment. When it comes to who Jesus is, think about how the people responded to him. They either feared him. Think about King Herod. The wise men show up, and they're like, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And what does it say? King Herod was troubled. He was troubled. He didn't like, didn't like the fact that Jesus was on the scene. So they either feared him, or they hated him. The Pharisees, or they worshipped him. The wise men, his followers, and many others. None of them, though, ever heard Jesus speak and say to themselves, he inspires me to be a better person. No. You don't ever see that reaction in the scriptures. They either feared, hated, or worshipped him. 
So what Christmas demonstrates is that God is involved in the affairs of men. He's not a God that's far off, but a God who is very near. And he doesn't just set things in motion and stand back and let, and let the, the world take its course, but he is very vested in his creation, especially the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. So Christmas demonstrates God is at work. But here's what I want to put before you today. It's that Christmas demonstrates God's at work, and this means Christmas changes everything. But I'm also going to put before you that Christmas explains everything. It explains everything. Back in our verse, look back at Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice what we find. There's a baby. Yes, just like the one right there. There's a baby. So we've got a baby being born. He's human. But it also says, in the city of David, we have a Savior. And then it goes on, who is Christ? It's just the Greek word for, for Messiah. So you have the Savior, you have Christ, the long-awaited Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for for hundreds, thousands of years. And furthermore, it says, who is Christ the Lord? Now, if you ever look, and you can do this at home, don't do it now, but if you ever go through, and just in Luke chapter 2, um, probably about seven, eight, maybe nine times the word Lord appears. And if you just look at all the times that it appears, and notice who the reference is, it's always God. It's always God. And so before it, you know, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then look who's being born. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he's not just human, he's also divine. God himself came to dwell with men. Hallelujah. The incarnation, God in the flesh. So Christmas explains everything. What do I mean by that? Well, one, Christmas explains the baby Jesus' purpose. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So we find out that he's a king. Well, what do kings do? They rule. They rule over their people. They govern them. And just a little bit earlier, at the end of Matthew chapter 1, if you look there, we find out verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, so Christmas explains the baby Jesus' purpose. What's he going to do? The king is on the scene. He's arrived. He's here to rule. But what's he going to do? Save his people from their sins. He's on a mission. The people are under attack, and they need saving. 
Christmas explains what Jesus was sent to do. Was he here to conquer the armies of Rome? No, that's what, that's what some hoped. No, he was here to conquer something much, much bigger. Sin and death. Made the armies of Rome look minuscule in comparison. Christmas also explains the Old Testament prophecies. You know, you, you get all these prophecies, and think about if you were a Jew living in the first century, and you're reading your Old Testament, which to you would just be the Testament, I guess. <laughs> There's no old yet. And you're reading it, and you're seeing all these prophecies, and you're wondering, like, what does this mean? What is this pointing to? Well, even all the way back in Genesis, what is the promise? Verse 15, Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We get this first glimmer of hope that the serpent will be destroyed. And now the offspring is here. The one to deal the fatal blow to the serpent has arrived. Even Isaiah 7, which is quoted if you look just a couple verses later in Matthew chapter 1. It says, verse 22, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, imagine if you're during Isaiah's time or after, and you're reading this, and they're like, we're going to call his name Emmanuel. We're like, we're going to call a kid God with us? Like, that's kind of interesting. That's a little bit unusual. God with us. And even the idea of a woman is going to have a baby and still be a virgin? Like, really? Like, what's the purpose of that? It shows what each of the prophecies was pointing to. Right here, we see it fulfilled. And we could look at prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, pointing to where he's going to be born, how he's going to lay his life down, what is he going to do, how is he going to interact with the people. All the prophecies are pointing forward, and many of them come to culmination in Christmas. Christmas also explains the human condition. What's our condition? We're fallen, right? We've sinned. We need saving. Can we do this on our own? No. Do we try? Yes. But we can't do it. So what's the solution? We need someone to intervene on our behalf. Again, Matthew 1, verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. So we sin, and we have sin, and we're sinful people, and we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. What is God's answer? A baby. That's his answer. A baby. But it's not just any baby. It's his own son sent to redeem a people for his own. What does Jesus come to do? Save his people from their sins. The beautiful thing is God does not leave us in our sins. He knows we can't save ourselves. Our condition is fallen and wretched. We need someone else to save us. God knew it, and God acted. Look at Isaiah chapter 9.
Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the one he sent. This is the child, his own son for us. The child born for us. So Christmas explains the human condition, but it also explains the love of God. God saw the world and saw that it was in trouble. Shortly we're going to sing the song, O Holy Night. One of the verses says, Long lay the world. In what? Sin and error. Pining. You know what pining is? We sing it a lot, but like, what does that, those things mean? You know, Hark the herald. <clears throat> pining, it's a mental and physical decline. So long lay the world in sin and error pine. It's like declining and declining, mentally and physically. We're just breaking down. And what did God do? Leave us in our sin? Nope. He provided a way out. And listen to how Galatians says it. Chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come. Listen, brothers and sisters, God knows the perfect time for everything. He knows the perfect time for everything. So if he knows when to send his son, he knows when to do whatever he needs to do in our life. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So God's answer is, is not just to, to wipe the slate clean, but it's even better. Like he wipes the slate clean, but he brings us into his own kingdom. I mean, isn't that amazing? Enemies, we're the enemies. And he, and he, he says, come on in. I invite you in. What, what, are the, what are the terms of peace? Well, surrender. You have to surrender. Repent of your sins and believe in the one true king. You've got to surrender and come before him. But he invites us in. He doesn't just say, oh, don't worry about it. We, we can be at peace, and I see you white, waving the, the white flag, so, so go, go ahead and, and go home. And, and No. He's like, if you're really waving it, come in and be a part of the true kingdom. You're living in darkness, come to the light. So it, ex it explains what God is up to. It explains the love of God. We see it in action. Even a verse like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, we always think of this in terms of Jesus dying. But it, but it begins by God giving him to the world first. He gave his only son first as a baby. So it starts by God sending his son. He gave him to Mary and Joseph. He gave him to the Jewish people. He gave him to the world. And brothers and sisters, he gave him to us. Amen. Think what we don't have without Christmas. There's no birth. There's no perfect life. There's no Son of God revealed to us. There's no disciples. There's no death. There's no payment for sin. There's no resurrection. 
We need Christmas. And think about how the Old Testament ends. Look at Malachi chapter 3. So here we have the last book given to God's people, the Jews. The last book of the Old Testament. And look what he says in chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. So, the Old Testament wraps up with a messianic promise that is unfulfilled. Unfulfilled. For 400 years, unfulfilled. And then how does the New Testament begin? Turn like two or three pages over. Matthew chapter 1. The very first verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. No, Christ is not his last name. That's a title. The title, Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Oh, think about that. The one that was just prophesied one book earlier in the Old Testament as the Old Testament is wrapping up. The New Testament begins with that. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And look whose son he is. The son of David and the son of Abraham. The long-awaited Messiah is on the scene. Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. Jesus. He is the one that we have been waiting for. How blessed we are to have Jesus. Amen? So again, in Jesus, when it comes to us interacting with him, there's really only so many options we can do. We can have the response of Herod, who fears him. We can have the response of the Pharisees, who hate him. Or we can have the response of his followers. People like the wise men, people like his disciples, who worship him. There's really not any other option. It's one of those. He doesn't just inspire people to live better. No, that's the Jesus of today that is found in some churches. No, the Jesus that the Bible presents is one that laid down his life for, for, for the sins of his people, who came and lived the perfect life and, and laid it down of his own accord and rose himself back up of his own accord. What did he say? I have power to lay my life down and I have power to what? Pick it up again. And that's what he did. What is, the, what is Easter show? That shows that the promise is fulfilled. That, that shows that, that Christmas comes to its full fruition and is completed. But we have everything we need with Christmas. We get to see the picture. We're not sure how it all works out completely and all some of the details. That's what Easter shows. But Christmas, it explains it. It explains everything. It explains that the rescue mission of Jesus is here and the rescue mission is his people. He's here to rescue a people 
for his own pleasure. He's here to do the will of the Father. God sent his own son for us. And that's available to every single person. That's why we just sent the cooks. They're probably still on a plane or just landing. What are they doing? They're taking this message, the message of Christmas, to a people that have never heard it before. And they will spend years doing that. Why? Because we believe this is true. They believe it's true. And we want to get that message to people. We want them to hear it and have the same response that the wise men had. The same response that many of us have had to Jesus. Which is what? To trust and believe. Repent of our sins and fall down at his knees and worship him. I encourage you today, brothers and sisters, if anyone is here who doesn't know him, make this the day. God has given you the best gift possible. His own son. And he offers you eternal life. What does is what is Jesus himself say in John 14? No one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because he says it earlier. I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Trust in him today. Repent of your sins. And God says he will give you the gift of eternal life. God says he will adopt you into his own family. It is a beautiful thing. I encourage you to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do give us the best gift of all, your son, Jesus, for it's in him that we have life. We thank you that Christmas, it explains everything, what you were up to for thousands of years, what you were up to when you were being quiet after Malachi, what you were up to even now, God, redeeming a people for your own pleasure. So use this Christmas season Lord, even the people that are only in church uh, once or twice a year, many, many people in Christmas this time of year, Lord, coming to Christmas services, let the gospel go forth. Let them hear the message. Let the pulpits be bold to preach it. And let people receive the gift of salvation. Let them trust in you. Let them be forgiven of their sins, Lord. Let many, 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 many come to know you this Christmas season across this world. Lord, be gracious to save and continue to save a people for your own pleasure. We pray this for your glory. Amen.